Good evening, and welcome to episode 25 of the Zachary Wingate podcast. This podcast is going for 365 days, and I think I'm going a little bit crazy on episode 24, but let's get into it. So today's show is going to be a unique one. I'm actually talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, oh God, Leonardo da Vinci's last painting. Um, there's a lot of controversy about this painting, and it ended up selling for $450 million. And today, I want to walk you through the steps of how this painting became so expensive. So sit back, relax, and listening, listen, and if you're working out, push hard. So first, to really understand the context of this painting, it's important to understand the one and only Leonardo da Vinci. Obviously, most of you know of him or know about him. Born in 1452, he was considered a Renaissance man living in in Florence. Now, it's believed that Leonardo da Vinci was kind of born of humble beginnings, but he was considered a Renaissance man. Within his lifetime, he would be a painter, a sculptor, and also, you know, musician, and he would touch with a lot of aspects of higher society within this time. Another thing that's really interesting about Leonardo da Vinci is he was very much into uh, strategic military weapons. And, you know, he didn't really necessarily always want to be a painter. A big part of his career was actually being on the border, creating these military weapons, these crazy looking things with large balls and like hitting um, the enemy. So he spent a lot of his time focusing on that. And his imagination was always going. I mean, it's just really interesting how, you know, for us to have the context of understanding what it would be like to live in this time. You know, he created different versions of scissors, the portable bridge, diving suits, mirror grinding machines, similar to those we use for telescopes. So something like a telescope. So always making sure he's like creating, inventing, writing down. And it's believed too that, you know, he had this journal that he'd write in all of his ideas and he would write backwards upside down with his left hand so nobody could read it because the idea was if anybody got involved with it or got the information, it would be really tough to um, potentially create these deadly weapons. So Leonardo da Vinci is claimed to have painted 20 paintings within his career. Um, Obviously, you know, the Mona Lisa is part of it, you know, which is one of the more famous ones, as well as um, The Last Supper, you know, kind of these large paintings that everyone knows, and it's very, very common. So Leonardo da Vinci had a, you know, amazing career, amazing life work, and really influenced a lot of different aspects of Western culture. Um, But one of the more interesting stories that have happened in recent years is the story of the Salvador Mundi. So what makes this painting so interesting? Well, it would have emerged into back into the public around 2005 and it's just there's so many there's so many you know this story is either one of the most amazing stories of all time as it relates to paintings or it's one of the biggest hoax of all time. Either way, it's of epic magnitude. Now, the context of the Salvador Mundi is it's believed to be a, be a portrait of Jesus Christ. Now, within 
Leonardo da Vinci's career, he would constantly paint saints, you know, obviously painting the Last Supper and going from there. So the Salvador Mundi was believed to be somewhere in the ether, but no one had really ever seen it or identified it until around 2005. Now, one thing in doing research about the Salvador Mundi's growth to where it was is understanding how lucrative the art dealing world is and, and how art always holds value on some levels and it's really hard to tax it or understand it. For example, the Salvador Mundi, quote unquote, was purchased in New Orleans in April of 2005 by an art dealer named Dr. Robert Simon. And he was associated with a, another gentleman by the name of Alexander Parrish. Now, these individuals were art dealers, and they came across this actually in a basement. And the quality of it was really, really rough. You know, when you first look at the painting, it looked like it had been painting over multiple times. But from what they saw, they had a hunch. And they ended up purchasing it for around $10,000. Now... They didn't really know what they had at this moment in time, but they thought it was something that was unique, and it really followed this lore of the Salvador Mundi. So at this time, these gentlemen had the painting, and it was in really rough shape. There was actually a crack going through it, um, and they started investigating it. They started determining if it was actually one of the last Leonardo da Vinci paintings. And around this time, they actually hired a woman by the name of Dana Modestina. And she was considered, she, she studied under one of the most well-known um, critiquers or, what would you say, well-known, well-known, God, I don't have the language for it, give me one second, well-known um, surveyors of Leonardo Da Vinci's paintings. And what's interesting about it is that when he originally saw it, he didn't think it was Leonardo da Vinci. And during this process, he would eventually die and Diana would take over the restoration of the painting. Now, she restored this painting. I think there's a percentage like 80% back to its a normal, um, back to its a normal and actually better than what it was. Now, what makes unique is unique is she did 70% of the restoration. So the Salvador Mundi in itself, you know, when you look at different aspects of it, they had to paint over it, she had to repaint it, they had to, they had to prop it up, and they had to get it to where it needed to be. But there was still within the art world a lot of hesitation about it being a actual Leonardo da Vinci. Some actually assumed that potentially it could have been one of his predecessors or interns who painted it with him but there was rumors within the art world of it constantly being around so a lot of people were kind of surprised and that's why I say this is one of the most incredible art stories ever or one of the biggest hoax ever. Now the price hiking of this painting goes through the roof and a lot of people kind of just build off the fact that it could be you know, the last painting. And I think with art, what really comes to a head with this is art is such a concept where people put intrinsic intrinsic value on it and there's really no way to measure it. So 
And I say that because of how quickly prices can hike and how demand comes over this painting. Well, eventually the individuals who originally found the painting would sell it to Yevis Bolvier. I can't even pronounce his name properly. And what, this guy is really, really interesting. He's an art dealer, amongst other things. And he ends up purchasing the painting for around $83 million. Now, what's so interesting about him is he, cre you know, he lives in Switzerland. He lives in Geneva. And he and himself creates a free port within Geneva. And now what's so interesting about this port is it's a tax-free zone. So if you spend $20 million on a painting and put your painting within this port, say that 500 times fast, you will not be able, you won't have to pay taxes. So he kind of created this environment of a loophole. So it kind of speaks to him as being a little bit of a shysty character. Now, but he's also a very cunning businessman and has made millions within the art world. That's why whenever he gets this painting, it kind of takes on a life of his own. So he's been known to buy low and sell high for these paintings. It's kind of been his M.O. So what happens is it usher in a new gentleman who is willing to paint it. Now at this time, there's still a lot of apprehension whether this painting is really, um, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, is it someone else? How has it became into the part of society? Things of those nature. So then he sells it to Dmitry Robodovancevich, which I gotta work on my pronunciations. Um, he ends up selling it for close to 127.5 million. So 444.5 million past the original markup. So he's really he's really playing on the fact that this is the last Leonardo da Vinci. It's at a good price. You know, he's really hustling the sales aspect of it. Which in a lot of ways, nobody draws any type of conclusion from the painting. Um, you know, if you're looking at it, you know, the price is really hiked up, you know, Dimitri and Yevis have a really good relationship. You know, they've been selling these and a lot of this is actually negotiated by email. I mean, could you imagine purchasing something for $150 million via email? I mean, that in itself is just a very different way of dealing things. I mean, most people want to go face to face, but you have to understand too, what makes the story so interesting is the business aspect of the art. With the purchase of $150 million in this, it really indicates that the value will stay there. So you can stamp it and it's never gonna go down because I mean, the only way it would go down if it's potentially proven as not a Leonardo Da Vinci. But what makes the story so amazing is the conflict around it. The people say yes, the people say no, you know, and how everything came to light. So that in itself is generating more of a fanfare of the painting. So this is where you kind of get a transition point with it because the painting ends up selling for one of the most expensive painting, expensive paintings of all time. And I'm about to get into the why. So to understand the value, we really also have to understand what Dmitry's Robolovinsky's um, impact was in the story. 
Now, this gentleman made his money. He sold a big part of his company back in 2010. He's considered to be one of the Russian oligarchs who survived the absolute um, cutting of what happened after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And he's worth around $6.6 billion. So we can kind of see how a gentleman like this would negotiate a painting that he doesn't know a lot about for $150 million. Um, and essentially, you know, he went through a nasty divorce back in 2015 that cost him $605 million with his wife. And it's also considered to see that, you know, he bought 38 pieces from Yevis. And at, a, at an estimated value of $2 billion. Now, this really adds to the complexities of the story and why the painting became so expensive. So this really what took on the story. So Yanis had the free port and Russian billionaire Dmitry started to realize that there started to be allegations that Giannis was charging way higher than the actual market value. So what happened is there was 38 art transactions that occurred. The real estimated value was $1 billion, and Dimitri ended up paying $2 billion. Now, this is what really pursued for criminal charges. Now, if you are negotiating paintings for $150 million via email, what do you expect? But... In this case, it almost seems like Dimitri had so much money that he really didn't even know how to properly negotiate or do the research for these paintings. So this kind of led into an offloading of all of Dimitri's paintings. So he went through this frenzy where he realized and he got scared that the value wouldn't maintain that he got taken advantage of. So he started selling and selling and selling. Enter in stage right. Christie's art dealer. Now, Christie's art dealer is known for selling some of the most expensive pieces of art. They have the ability to take something and really market it and show the value. They are active in 46 different countries and have 10 sales, room, 10 sales rooms. And what they're really known for doing is being able to auction off paintings. Now, some of the best value for paintings, if you look at the business model, is related to auctioning because, once again, the buyer determines the value. So taking the Salvador Mundion, the Christie Art Exhibit did a full-blown marketing campaign. And they did it very strategically, obviously, going in through their social media apparatus and actually posting it and they really leaned into the fact of is it's real and the price points of it being 150 million and the controversy for it really created a lot of fanfare during the time of it being sold i mean at some points within their marketing campaign they even had picture of leonardo dicaprio looking at the leonardo da vinci and with the caption wondering if it's real in quote so this kind of created the process of, of fanfare and bidding and everything going into it because it kind of created a vacuum of people wanting it. And, you know, Christie Art Dealer is notorious for it, and they were actually going to get 1% of the sale. So the date was set for November 15th, 2017. 
the Christie Sales Room in New York would put this painting out to auction and bid. Prior to this very moment, um, the highest painting that had ever been purchased was 179.4 million by Pablo Picasso's Woman of Algiers. Um, and this also was sold by the Christie Institute. Now, when looking at the sale of the Salvador Mundi, I think the bids originally started around 100 million and no one thought it would exceed over 120 million. So because of the, the nature of it being real or fake, the amount wasn't really there, and Dimitri just wanted to break even because he thought he was taken advantage of by the original art dealer. So what happened within this bid is it was quite a dramatic event. The prices were being pushed, and within this bid too, what you have to understand is there wasn't people who you knew. People were bidding on these paintings and they're, they were anonymous because they didn't really want the, the world to know what they would potentially pay for this or how much wealth they have. Because what happened is this painting really flushed out a lot of the dark side of the art world, but it also flushed out what people are really willing to pay and we look at the money rate. So to spread you kind of, to spare you kind of what happened, this painting would eventually be marked up to $450 million, being one of the most expensive paintings ever purchased in history. I mean, think about that. If you go to the original aspect of the story, it being purchased for $10,000, people not knowing, and then the painting being shorted, in all these different aspects of who determines the value, and it ends at $450 million, it really dropped a lot of eyes. I mean, it made people go a little bit crazy in the art world because it was completely unexpected. I mean, you knew that the Pablo Picasso that sold for that sold for one hundred seventy-nine million was actually a Pablo Picasso. This painting, there was a lot of doubt, and in my personal opinion, I think the doubt is what added to the value. Now, what makes the story even interesting is who purchased the painting. So who would purchase the painting? Well, if you don't know, it's pretty remarkable. It was the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. Now, mind you, he purchased this painting when, you know, and you think about what happened to Jamal Shoji and things of that. And really, you know, he's ushered in you know, a new heir within Saudi Arabia, but the actual purchasing of the painting was him for $450 million. Now think about this. What's even crazier is where it's believed that the painting is now is on one of his yachts that is worth $450 million. So look at that price point to really put it in perspective. To have a yacht for $450 million and then have this Salvador money that's believed to be on the painting for $450 million. I mean, within everything on it, you're looking at a $900 million value floating vessel. I mean, that kind of money is just, I can't even, like, fathom it. It just seems so novel. But what made the story so interesting is after the purchase of this painting, no one has seen it and no one has been able to verify whether it is a da Vinci. There was a, there was, um, 
So during this time, there was an exhibit going on at the Lou for the 20 paintings. And, and what's really interesting is, you know, the first aspect of the painting is they were going to put it in the back. But the Prince Salomon said that it must be at the same level as the Mona Lisa. So there was all this controversy with the Lou. They were going back and forth, communicating with it. And essentially, the date was set for them to put the painting right next to the Mona Lisa. So the day came for this exhibit to happen. And there was a lot, once again, I'm using the same word, fanfare around the painting. I mean, can you imagine now this painting has gone on this voyage where it's been restored. It's been sold for $880 million to $150 million to now being sold for $450 million. Mind you, the Crystal Art Institute got 1% of that. So they got $45 million from the original selling of this painting. I mean, it just kind of this whirlwind. So in itself, that created more wanting to see it. You know, So a lot of art um, connoisseurs and lovers of art came out to this exhibit. Well, the day of, the painting did not show. But sure enough, in the bay was that yacht for the Prince of Salomon, a Prince of Saudi Arabia. So it's not really sure what happened. They got to that point. However, he didn't want to take the painting out. Now, what makes this whole story so interesting is the context of Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci was believed to be, you know, bisexual. You know, he had a lot of female and gay lovers. You know, that's 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 history, them's facts. And he was painting Jesus Christ. So if you look at it from this perspective, it's really unique because you look at the laws, you look at kind of the policies of Saudi Arabia and how strict it is on the Western world and Western concepts within the country. You know, sometimes aspects of not even let women to drive, not even talking about what happens within the country as it relates to homosexuals or gay people, whatever they prefer to, whatever the correct terminology is. Um, and then you have this individual who was purchasing this painting. Now, to me, it just really speaks volumes and purchasing it at an astronomical rate. So in itself, it just kind of shows what art does to, you know, very rich people. To sum it up, you know, you have the ability to hide money, hold value, not pay taxes, and be able to purchase something that has long-term investments. I mean, I can't even think of anything else. And then you have one of the most expensive paintings of all time. So, I hope I hope you've enjoyed this story. Um, if you are truly interested in it, I strongly suggest you watch the Los Leonardo documentary filmed in 2021. Um, it's phenomenal. I'm taking a lot of my facts and information from this documentary, and I just really enjoy this story. I think it has so many different aspects of it. It has a 98% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So if you want to learn more about it, I strongly suggest you watch it. Thank you for listening tonight, and I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. Thanks again for listening, and I just want to apologize for the recording. I will not let that feedback happen again, and I will record better next time.